0: Good morning, Mercy House. Uh, welcome to another virtual edition, and uh, welcome to those of you that this may be your first time to, to be a part of our uh, live stream. We're really glad you're here, and uh, we're looking at the Book of Philippians for uh, our summer series. And uh, those of you that have the scripture journals, uh, hopefully you're opening to those and taking some notes in those scripture journals. Um, but uh, we're going to be looking at uh, just a few verses that you just heard, Fabo. Uh, 50- uh, read to us, and um, it, it's interesting because I, th- I think w- one of the things we see in, in the Church of Philippi—it's a pretty healthy church—and uh, it's, it's a great study for us to to think about what what is a healthy church, what brings about a healthy church, what kind of practices, and, and I, th- I think for all of us, we we want a healthy church, right? We want a Jesus worshiping, tight knit family that's on the mission to make disciples for Jesus. Uh, we want a church that's dependent on God through consistent prayer and the study of Scripture. We we want uh, the, the kind of people who put their interests aside for the interests of others, uh, both in the church and, and in the world as well. Uh, we want people who can abstain from gossip and they can work through their differences to the point of like true reconciliation and not just tolerate each other. Um, that we we want a church that's not unnecessarily connected or attached to the things of this world and therefore able to be really generous with their resources. We want a church that has the kind of leaders who lead with love and the kind of followers who follow with humility. We want the kind of church that can engage the world with justice and, and with mercy. And, and so there's a lot that can be said about, okay, well, here's how you get that kind of a church. But I think one of the things that, we might be surprised would be in that list would be Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm not talking about turkey and dressing. Uh, I'm talking about the giving of thanks. And in particular, the giving of thanks for your church, for the individuals in your church and for the church as a whole. And this is what we see Paul doing in this opening verses of uh, the book of Philippians. He's giving thanks Uh, for the Philippian church. And so I I think there's a lot we can draw from this passage. So one is just what is the Christian view of thanksgiving? And then number two, we're going to look at the particulars of what Paul is actually giving thanks for. And then three, we'll apply that to our own prayer life and and what we uh, can give thanks for, uh, especially in regard to the church. So number one, what's the Christian view of thanksgiving? So again, verse three of Philippians one, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And so we see that Christian thanksgiving is, is the acknowledgement of God as the source of all things. Now I think it's very common for, for people who are not religious to work at being more thankful. They they usually use the word gratitude. So I I want to be a person of gratitude, and I think everyone knows, whether they're Christian or not, that it's healthier to have the attitude uh, that, that, that of gratefulness for the things in your life rather than going around feeling like you're always getting the shaft and, and that you are entitled uh, to more, and. It's so tempting, I think, for everyone to, instead of being uh, having a heart of gratitude, to be a complainer, right? I mean, think about this. Right? We complain about the weather. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too humid. Uh, we complain about politicians, right? They're corrupt. Uh, they're incompetent or just plain stupid. We we complain about the town that we live in. We say, oh, those people or those South Hadley people. Uh, We complain about people we actually know, right? You say, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear about what they did? I I can't believe they did that. They are such a fill in the blank, right? Um, And the list goes on. We, We can complain about our spouse, our kids, our friends, our possessions that we have. We can complain about the possessions that we don't have. And yes, we complain about the church, we complain about the church at large, we can complain about those evangelicals, uh, we can also complain about uh, our actual local church, that it's not meeting my needs as I want it to, or uh, it, it, it's not doing things right. I remember being, being, uh, having, having a conversation with someone where this person is like a key leader. This is several years ago. I, having coffee with them and, and they're complaining. They're, they have a list of complaints and uh, as they're giving me these complaints, I'm listening and, and I'm thinking to myself, this person actually should be complaining to themselves because they actually have the power to change the very thing that they're complaining about, which I did say at the end of the conversation, uh, which went, you know, okay. It's, it's as if we're in a bondage to complaining. And so here I am complaining about complainers, uh, which is one of my favorite things to complain about. Now, what happens is is this attitude sucks the life out of life. It affects our own hearts. It affects the hearts of those that are around us. Thanksgiving has the opposite effect. The most thankful that we become, the more joy that we experience. Thankfulness actually puts life back into life. So be thankful in everything." And you say, I can never do that. I can never be thankful in everything. Well, that is actually a command in the Bible. Uh, Ephesians 5.20, is sort of the mother of all thanksgiving verses, according to me. Um, Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, Paul's saying there in Ephesians 5.20, we can do this and we can do this because we are Christians. Thanksgiving is uniquely Christian. Paul says in, in Philippians here, he says, I think uh, my God, God's, uh, Paul sees this God as personally involved in his life and the life of the Philippian church and that this God who is intimately involved in their church is specifically giving blessings in answer to Paul's petitionary prayer. And this, this is how we can give um, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a very positive feedback loop. I ask, God answers. I acknowledge God's answer by giving thanks, and there is joy. And then I ask some more, and God answers. And then I give thanks, and there is joy. I think even Jesus teaches this to his disciples in John 16, four. Second part of that verse says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, does this mean everything you ask for, God gives you exactly what you ask for? No, of course not. But in this process of going to God with our needs and then seeing God meet those with his wisdom, uh, it is a joy-filled kind of of an experience as opposed to not asking at all or asking with wrong motives and not receiving or asking and receiving and then not giving thanks. All of these are ways in which the joy gets sucked out of our life. And really the saddest one is asking, receiving, and then not giving thanks. That is the saddest one of them all. We would never do this to a human being. We wouldn't ask a human being, would you do this thing for me? Would you give me this thing and then not say thank you? That's just wrong, <laughs> right? That, like those of you that are raising children right now, you're, you're trying to instill this in them. When, when they receive something, they need to say thank you, right? And so if it's, it's wrong for us to do that to human beings, how much more wrong is it for us to do that to God? And you say, well, what if I'm not genuinely thankful? I actually don't think God is giving me what I deserve. And I'm angry at God, or I'm bitter at God, and I I feel I have every right to to be uh, a complainer to God. Well, I think first thing is telling that to God, right? Uh, I I think as Christians, we think, oh, I'm supposed to be thankful, so I I just kind of stuff those kinds of feelings. No, actually... Places like the Psalms are filled with people lamenting to God that they're not happy with how their life is at the moment. We're doing a little bit of lamenting at, at, at our house uh, over Cooper, our, our, our youngest son, having to have another ACL reconstructive surgery on his knee tomorrow morning. So you'd be praying for him. Um, but it is, it's really discouraging because he did this last summer where he had this reconstructive surgery and then there was a re tear, and now he's having to go through this arduous process of having surgery and recovering again. And so we're not over at the Cremery House going, "Oh, I'm just so thankful to God that this is happening." No, we're lamenting over that, but we're also going to the gospel and and and, and drawing from the gospel grace in order to yes, give thank uh, thanks in everything. And 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 this is what you see. In what Paul is saying in places like Ephesians 5:20, right again, listen to that Ephesians 5:20. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, and so, what he, what he's saying is, thanksgiving is is not just it's not just given for thanksgiving's sake. Uh, it, it's not just given to some sort of nebulous God up in the sky. It's being given to God the Father through God the Son. And because of the gospel, right, because that we know that, that, that even though I sometimes don't feel thankful or the things I'm seeing in my life or in this world do not cause me to be, want to be thankful, I know that God in Christ has met my deepest need. That when Christ died at the cross, he met my deepest need and actually, actually an eternal need. And so because that need has been met, I can draw from that. Well, when i 'm struggling to give thanks in this temporal world, right, so you say, "Okay, okay, okay, I, I got it I, I should give thanks i I, I get it. Uh, what do we give thanks for and obviously, that, that could be a long list, but what it 's interesting what we see in this text regarding what Paul is giving thanks for. Um, Three different categories of what he's giving thanks for. So so one category is he's giving thanks for the Philippians' partnership in gospel ministry. You see that in verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So the Philippians are working together with Paul to spread uh, the gospel. And and Paul's thankful for that. Um, They've just given him a, a generous financial Uh, gift to help with Paul's ministry. So Philippians, in a way, is like a thank you note to a funding partner who has been funding Paul in this ministry that he's on uh, to get the gospel to the nations. And they had received that gospel from Paul. And so because of that, they now wanted to give money so that that gospel could go to other people. Now, this is really cool that the Philippian church can say, we funded the apostle Paul so that he could take the gospel to the nations. Now, did they know that that was gonna be as big a deal as it is? No, they didn't. They were just being a faithful church. They were taking the resources they had that, that, that God had entrusted to them. They were being faithful to, to sow some of those resources out in the gospel mission. And this is, this is a beautiful vision of Christian giving because the reason that Paul was able to go to the church at Philippi and bring the gospel is because the church of Antioch had given him resources so that he could bring the gospel to Philippi. And now Philippi was giving him resources so he could then take that gospel to uh, another group of people that had never heard about Jesus. This is partly why we as a church give 10% of the, the our in-house offering that comes in on Sundays. We give that away to campus ministries, missionaries, uh, church planters, And we do this in part because so many financial partners outside of the walls of our church have given to us so generously so that the gospel could be planted and preached in this place of Amherst, Massachusetts. And so it makes total sense, right? That that because we have been so generously blessed by outside partners and by the preaching of the gospel here that we want to see that gospel preached throughout New England and around the world. We see this kind of response in, in our alumni uh, some of them who, they received the gospel here at Mercy House. They didn't know Jesus until they came here and they heard the gospel and they responded with saving faith. And now they want to give back to Mercy House so that Mercy House can continue uh, to preach uh, the gospel. I always give this speech to the grads every, every grad luncheon at, in, in May. And uh, we, we sit down, have a wonderful lunch and talk, talk about what's next. And I encourage them to keep reading their Bibles and join a good Bible preaching church And then I say, and when you get that big fat job in New York or Philly or DC or Boston, give to Mercy House. Like this is part of how uh, you partner in the gospel, the very gospel that was given to you because of partners uh, before you. I'm also grateful for those who've responded in our church, in our church body, in partnering uh, with, with, with each other inside the church for gospel mission. There's a contingent of working people in our church that are members of the church who have committed themselves to giving 10% or beyond for the purpose of partnering financially for gospel mission in this church. Others who have committed themselves uh, to work to that goal of 10% or or beyond uh, in their generous giving so that they can fund the ministry of this church and and, and help this church get to a place of sustainability uh, within its own uh, membership and, and giving. This has totally changed uh, what is possible in terms of the sustaining and the advancing of the mission of our church. And this makes sense, right? Like, like they've received the gospel, they've received the generosity of the gospel, and now they want to be generous in partnering with uh, others with for gospel mission. Now, this is cause for, for great thanksgiving. Uh, we also see college students partnering with our church and they're taking their on-campus job money or they're taking the stipend they get from their parents and they're giving a little bit as an offering, but they're partnering and they're building this, this discipline, these habits that they're going to take with them when they graduate and they are a part of a church somewhere else where they will continue to partner at an even greater funding level. This is cause for Thanksgiving when we see this kind of partnership. But the partnership for the Philippians doesn't just include finances. Um, We see them participating in the mission of getting the gospel out. Did did you see this part in, in verse seven? For you are all partakers with me of grace. All right, so they receive the gospel grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. They're continuing the work of gospel mission in Philippi now that Paul has gone on Uh, to bring that gospel to other places. They didn't just write a check and then forget about it, right? They're involved in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, meaning they're teaching the gospel truth and they're defending that gospel truth whenever it is attacked. And so this is is cause for Thanksgiving. This is one of my greatest joys as a pastor is when I see disciples that have been made in this church who are then going out on gospel mission. They they are making disciples of others, both in this region and also in other places. uh, There's some things that I've heard in the last month that that just like Thanksgiving and joy just kind of leapt out of me. When when I heard uh, a story of of a Mercy House parent having a a significant conversation with their child about truths in the scripture. Uh, When I heard of a church member getting peppered with questions at work about why are you a Christian? And they gave a gracious and truthful uh, response to those questions. Uh, When I heard of a teen in our church who's taking initiative with a, uh, a younger cousin, to actually study some of the scripture and explain the gospel to that cousin. When I, when I hear, of, and this has happened many times, discipleship group leaders who 18 months ago were discipleship group members, right? Like this stuff is, is, is reason for thankfulness and it is reason for joy. So that's the first particular, is this partnership in gospel mission, both financially and in, in participation. Uh, the second category in the particulars here uh, is is that Paul sees this as evidence of the work of God right? verse six i 'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ, of Jesus Christ um, if, if you know any verses from Philippians you, you might know this one you might have memorized this one and and uh, out of its context it's still awesome it's an awesome verse right it's an awesome verse to memorize but but look at the context this is he this is what he's thankful for that he sees god's work in them and and again when when you see the gospel initially take root in someone's life right like paul had explained the basics of the faith to the philippians he he had invited them to respond with faith he watched them repent of sin and and to trust Jesus to be forgiven, even though you see that happen, you're just not absolutely sure that this person is a Christian, right? The person's saying the right things, they're asking the right questions, best you can tell, they're, they're a Christian, but, but if you're honest, the jury's kinda still out. Like, like how are they gonna be doing in a month or in 12 months or in 18? And so Paul is seeing in the Philippians the fruit of genuine conversion. And he's saying, God has begun a good work in you. And I know he's gonna be faithful to complete it because he sees the the result of the gospel in their lives. And this result is they're giving generously to missions. Um, They're participating in gospel mission. This is how he knows, yes, they are genuine uh, Christians. They're true believers. And why is that the proof or good proof for a genuine belief in the gospel? Well, because it's consistent with the gospel itself. Uh, the gospel, think about the gospel. We, we were in need of forgiveness for our sins. We were in absolute desperation. We had no way to earn that that forgiveness. And so God saw our desperate need and he responded by giving to us generously, so generously that he offered his, his one and only son, like he paid an infinite cost so that we could be forgiven and brought back into relationship uh, with God. So if that is the gospel that saved us, then that will be the gospel that shapes us. And so that gospel penetrates our hearts to the very depths of our being and our behaviors start to be shaped by that pattern of, of the gospel. Later on in Philippians, Paul will say, live a life worthy of the gospel. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, I want you to live a life that's shaped, not just saved by the gospel, but I want it to be shaped by the gospel. And so if you've been saved by the gospel, part of the fruit will be this radically generous way of living, both in, in the giving of financial resources, but also in the way you participate in the gospel uh, mission. It is. Proof of genuine transformation in the human heart. So he's, he's thankful for the partnership. He's thankful because he sees that as proof, as a proof of God's actual work in their lives. And he is also thankful for the relationships he has with them, right? Verse seven again, he says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness of how I yearn for you, all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul is grateful, he is thankful because of these relationships. He says he holds them in his heart, that, that, that he has an affectionate yearning <laughs> for them that's been given to him by Jesus. The Philippians are not just, they're not just some notch on his missionary belt. They're not a mere metric of people saved and churches planted. The Philippians are true friends and they are true friends brought to him by Jesus Christ. These friends came about because of Jesus, because of what Jesus did in their lives. They partook of that and Paul has partaken of that. And so because of this gospel that they have have both benefited from, they're now these very good friends. And this is a deeper and more meaningful friendship than any friendship you could have built around common interest or mere proximity, even, even around family ties, right? These gospel friendships are literally eternal friendships. I mean, there's nothing more permanent, there's nothing that's deeper. One of of the reminders of this in our own lives at our house are all the Christmas cards that we receive. And we we send out about 250 Christmas cards every year and we receive about that many. And I put these all out on our table uh, this week. Just to kind of see them all, and usually we, we have them in our in our mudroom all hung up, but we had taken them down, and so I got them back out and put them out, and just took a picture of them. And w- one of the things about these relationships, I'd say, an, I'd say ninety percent of these cards are, are are from people who we have relationships with because of the gospel. Right? There's some f- friends and family that we you know we've we've had for years, and you know friends from high school, that kind of thing. But honestly, ninety percent of those friendships, those relationships are because of the gospel. And I, I, I would assume that if, if the Christmas cards were given in the first century, Apostle Paul would have had, you know, 12,000 of them. Um, and, but, but, but it's so, that it is so precious to us that we have all these relationships and we have them because of Jesus Christ. Right? And so Paul is thankful for those uh, relationships. So how can we apply this this idea of Christian thanksgiving and these particulars that Paul gives us. Um, I think one is, and this might be a bit counterintuitive, is that we, we need to receive a gift before we can be thankful for anything, really. And that sounds weird, like shouldn't you just immediately start being more thankful, more grateful? No, actually you need to receive the gift of the gospel. You're never gonna be freed from your sense of entitlement, your bondage to complaining until you receive the ultimate gift of Christ's death for you on the cross. This gift of infinite cost that purchased for you something you could have never earned. I mean, you couldn't even meet Jesus halfway in receiving this gift. You can merely reach out your open hand of faith and receive this forgiveness that he purchased for you on the cross, and it's there that you begin this journey of thankfulness, and, and, and if you, you're just beginning to explore that, and you, you, you're like, okay, I'm interested, don't know exactly what you're saying, I'd encourage you to reach out to us. We'd love to have a conversation with you about it, but you could also go to our website, mercyhouse365.org, and, uh, slash response, and you can go there, and you can look at uh, a more thorough explanation of uh, this gospel, this good news that I'm talking about All right, secondly, if we've received that gospel grace initially, um, then the response is to confess our lack of thankfulness. Uh, Many of us, myself included, we we easily tend toward complaining, uh, entitlement. We're never happy with the life that we've been given. and so this is sort of like someone giving you free room and board and, and you're like, you know what, I got a complaint. I, I don't, this, the size of the room isn't just right and, and the pillows, I just don't like them. Like, like you wouldn't do that. But this is kind of what we do with God. Like, like every breath we take comes from God and, and, and not only has he created us and sustains us, just our physical life and physical world, but he's now saved us through this infinite gift that he's given us in Jesus Christ and we're complaining. We're, we're entitled to more. And and so just confessing that, confessing that tendency uh, to to do that, that God really is good and that, his, that the life he's given us, that he's entrusted us with uh, is in his wisdom and it is good and we can be thankful in all things always because we're doing it through Jesus Christ. Then thirdly, thank God, right? To thank God for things, uh, but especially things in the church, things in the church that do reflect the biblical norms that we read about. Like, like what is what, is, what does the Bible say about the church and what God wants for the church? And what are we getting right? And, and the things that we are getting right, let's let thank God uh, for those things. And again, I need I'm preaching this to myself because I can I can be caught up in. Uh, what we haven't become, what's not there yet, and and can just kind of focus on that instead of looking at, God, this is what you've done. These are the ways that you are manifesting your presence and the the ministry that, that has been planted here and sustained here and advanced here in miraculous ways. Like this is much to be thankful for. And then fourthly and finally, then ask God for more. Ask God for more, ask God for more. Uh, for our congregation, right? Giving thanks doesn't mean complacency. It doesn't mean that you're not honest about the things that that aren't there, the, the 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 things both in this in the church, but also in the world that aren't right, that are unjust, and to cry out to God and ask Him to intervene. That is totally appropriate, and 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 can can be requested on the heels of Thanksgiving. And what we want to be asking God for in regards to our church, is the things that he lays out, again, that that are biblical norms for the church in the Bible, right? And so asking, even from this text today, that that our church would be a church that partners together financially, partners together uh, in participation of the gospel mission to make disciples, that make disciples, um, to see a 100% mobilization of the people in our church to to serve uh, according to their gifts, and their calling. Um, what we don't wanna be asking for is that the church would become a Christian country club and it would meet all of our preferences. That, that's not how we wanna pray for the church. We wanna pray according to the word of God. What does God say he desires for the church to be? What, what does he want it to become? And then we can pray uh, accordingly that, that we would be this gospel-centered, tight-knit family that is partnered together on the mission to make disciples who make uh, disciples. It is for this that we are thankful in the ways that God is doing this already. And it is also what we were asking for going forward. And doing that with great joy, right? We we're, we're, This is a positive feedback loop where as we ask and God uh, answers and we give him thanks, there's much joy. So with that joy, we're gonna gather together as a church virtually And we're going to pray. And uh, Austin's going to come and uh, lead us in that time of prayer.